Listener Production. I think most of us know at least one person who's undergone IVF. Maybe that's even you right now, or maybe you're in the process of considering it. But imagine for a second having not just a couple of rounds, but 17 and still no baby. We actually sold our house in Sydney last year to fund a lot of this. I don't want people to think, oh, it's okay for you. You know, you've got all this money. No, we actually had to sell our family home, which (laughs) is excruciating. Today, in part two of our three-part series on modern birth in Australia, we're talking to entrepreneur Lisa Messenger. She's talking publicly for the first time to us about her long IVF journey. And spoiler alert, there is an amazing twist. We'll also hear from an IVF expert and get her top three tips that could really help shape your decision if this is something on your mind. That is in the second half of the podcast straight after today's headlines. I'm Katrina Blau. It is Wednesday, the 8th of February, and I'm joined by Antoinette Latouf. If it feels like interest rates just keep rising, well, you're not wrong. And the RBA boss has hinted the latest rate hike is unlikely to be the last one. In a statement, Philip Lowe said, the board expects that further increases in interest rates will be needed over the months ahead to ensure that inflation returns to target So it's after rates rose by 25 basis points yesterday to 3.35% and the big banks have begun passing the hike on. Well, the Commonwealth Bank has accused the RBA of underestimating the lagging effect of previous hikes and has tipped rates will have to be cut again before the end of the year. Gosh, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, experts at Deloitte say the RBA is running the risk of crashing the economy, but others say with inflation high and unemployment low, there's not a lot more in the RBA's toolkit to try and slow the economy down. And I guess that's the big problem, isn't it, Antoinette? It is indeed. And, you know, a lot of people haven't begun to feel the pinch. I mean, there are many who have, but there are about 800,000 mortgage holders who are scheduled to shift from fixed to variable rates of as, like as much as 6% or more in 2023. I actually sit in that camp from early next year, our fixed rate goes and we're like just quietly packing it um, because it's going to mm-hmm. be an enormous, by then there will have been about 10 successive rate increases, which those on fixed rates have been, I guess, a little bit incubated from. Um, But those who are in that situation have been advised to shop around for a better rates because your existing bank or lender, they might be offering um, better deals. Uh, It's a pretty unsexy market at the moment. So it's always worth calling and asking what's on offer. And more often than not, if there's a sense that you're going to go elsewhere, they'll try and keep you and hopefully um, help you out a little bit. Yeah, I can attest to that. I recently had to remortgage like in the last month for reasons I won't bore you with. Not a great time to be refinancing my mortgage. Mm. However, I went through a mortgage broker and they still were able to find me a pretty okay deal where I got uh, quite a few thousand dollars in cash back uh, to lure me across to another bank. So it is out there. You just need to do your homework. The death toll of the 7.8 magnitude earthquake that struck Turkey and Syria on Monday has now reached more than 6,000, while 8,000 have been pulled from the rubble so far. So this is such a devastating blow for a region that, um, for those who you know don't follow events too closely, was already grappling with a bitterly cold winter. And humanitarian organisations say that even 
before the earthquake hit. Around three quarters of Syrians were in dire need of aid. Um, But some good news has emerged. Here, two kids are pulled from the rubble while a very anxious father watches on. You certainly need some moments of hope amid so much destruction. The earthquake has left tens of thousands of people homeless as residents, as you said, face cold nights as well as rain and snow uh, across Turkey and Syria. Starting from places close to the disaster area, the necessary plans are being made to prepare hotels, which have already closed due to the winter season, to host disaster victims. That's Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan there. He's also declared a disaster zone in the 10 provinces struck as the country goes into a three-month state of emergency. And uh, PM Anthony Albanese has said that Australia will provide an initial $10 million in humanitarian aid to help earthquake victims. Every adult will soon be eligible for another COVID vaccine. The government advisory group ATAGI has given the green light to a fifth COVID dose overnight for those over 29, while 18 to 29-year-olds will be able to get their fourth dose. This change comes in from February 20th. It's provided we haven't had a shot or been infected with COVID within the last six months. ATAGI says an Omicron-specific mRNA vaccine is preferred, while most under 18 are ineligible for another booster. Although children aged 5 to 17 with health conditions can also get another shot. But interestingly, Katrina, the latest data shows only 44% of adults have had all four recommended doses so far. Um, In September, we actually binned 20% of our supply of booster doses. I'm surprised it's as high as 44%, to be honest, given the the kind of informal surveys I do of my friends from time to time. I think that figure is largely due to uh, pharmacists and GPs going into aged care facilities. Bruce Lerman has lodged two defamation cases, one against Network 10 and the publisher of news.com.au over their coverage of allegations he raped Brittany Higgins. He's always maintained his innocence um, and there have been no findings against him. And you may recall Lerman's trial was abandoned last year after a juror's misconduct and uh, prosecutors dropped the charge when they decided not to proceed with a retrial over fears for Higgins' mental health. No details about the two claims have yet been released, but six documents have been filed. Lerman has already lodged several complaints, including a complaint to police about a statement Higgins made outside the court on the date the trial ended. He also lodged a formal complaint against the ACT's Director of Public Prosecutions. And the scammer who targeted Optus hack victims has avoided a decade in jail. So this guy's 20 years old. His name's Dennis Sue. He was sentenced to an 18-month community corrections order instead because of his young age. And also, I'm guessing, because he's an intelligent person. Uh, Sue attempted to scam 92 people hit by the hack. Not great form, Sue. Uh, demanding they transfer $2,000 or their personal information would be used for financial crimes. So he pleaded guilty in November last year to two counts of using equipment connected to a network to commit a serious offence. Imagine if this guy, he's clearly very smart, used his powers for good instead of evil. Do you know what, Katrina, now that you say that, last week I actually met a guy who, when he was a teenager, hacked one of the big banks and was able to get thousands of people 
credit card details and then went shopping and bought things like <laughs> sneakers and milkshakes and movie tickets. Um, and oh, my gosh, he classic. Did, he did get sentenced, so he has a criminal record. But since then, he's turned his life around and he's employed by huge organisations to hack or to see if he can penetrate their systems. So he is super intelligent and how has become like a hacker, like a hacker for big corporations. So uh, He's I, gone to the good side. I, yeah, that's excellent. I reckon you've got to get these clever people on your side uh, rather than against you. All right, Antoinette, in just a sec, part two of our briefing birth series, we're going to hear an incredible story about one woman's IVF journey. Now to part two of our three-part briefing series on modern birth in Australia. And yesterday we brought you an epic episode on the rise of solo motherhood by choice, which if you haven't gotten to yet, I strongly recommend. Today is all about IVF and we are honoured that Australian entrepreneur Lisa Messenger, who many of you might already know, has chosen us to tell her story publicly too for the first time. She gets really vulnerable about her 17 rounds of unsuccessful IVF, many of them she did secretly without even telling her family or friends. Then we're going to hear from an IVF doctor on the three key things she thinks you should know if IVF is something on your mind. But first, let's hear Lisa's extraordinary story, which she shared with me earlier this week. Let's go right back to the beginning of your IVF journey. What led you to IVF as an option? The short answer is I probably almost forgot to have children. (laughs) So I was having trouble conceiving naturally. And so we decided to go down path of IVF, which went on for a long time, eight years and 18 rounds of IVF. My goodness. Was it a more difficult process than you'd anticipated it would be? Yes. It has been until recently horrendous. And I wish I could sugarcoat that for anyone who knows me. I'm like the queen of, you know, positivity. But I have to say, even being that type of person who's done a lot of personal work on myself, it has been excruciating. And from a drug perspective, like in, so I did 16 rounds myself. So every cycle of those would be egg collections, which means I've been under 12 general anaesthetics, and then also um, injecting myself probably on average at least 30 times per cycle. At one point, I was doing three lots of acupuncture a week and taking 90, yes, 90 tablets a day, Chinese (laughs) medicine tablets. And it's been a lot. And What I want to do in everything in my life is share my story, but also try and give people hope. So what chances of success were you given early on? So I was told, you know, with my eggs that they were fine. And so what happened was every time we fronted up to an IVF cycle, I was told for 12 rounds, yeah, yeah, your eggs are fine. We're harvesting eggs. I kept saying, well, why is it not working? You know, and so 12 times I had this phone call where you wait the two weeks after the implantation and then this beautiful woman, Val, who has been an angel, would have to call me and say, oh, Lisa, not this time, you're not pregnant. 
and we did every test conceivable and I was still told it's fine, it's just a numbers game. And so we kept fronting up and it wasn't until round 13 that I decided to change the path. And the cynicism in me, unfortunately, got to a point where it was like, you know, oh, are they just like, oh, well, that one didn't work. Here's another 12 grand. Here's another 12 grand. Here's another 12 grand. And I don't say that lightly. We actually sold our house in Sydney last year to fund a lot of this. I don't want people to think, oh, it's okay for you. You know, you've got all this money. No, we actually had to sell our family home, which <laughs> is excruciating to like continue to be able to pay for this. It was really hard. What happened with round 13? Why did you change tack? So round 13, I went to have a scan outside of our normal fertility clinic. And the woman who gave me a scan was just divine. And this woman said to me, oh, you know, I have so many women in here who are a bit older, like me, who have donor eggs and they're really successful. We see it over and over again. That was not the first thing that came into my mind at all, nor was IVF. You know, I think like anything, it's just like these little iterations where you find these tiny little pieces of hope, little crumbs of hope. And so then when she said that, which no one had ever said to me before, like, oh, you could use someone else's eggs. Suddenly I was like, oh gosh, I have a new path. All right, I'm dying to find out about this game-changing round 18. <laughs> Tell us all about it. Twelve and a half years ago, I met a woman called Sarah and I've been in publishing a long time and I was um, working on a, a finance book for a client of mine and I needed a financial editor. And so one of my team reached out and found this amazing woman called Sarah um, and she was coming into the office and she just reminded me recently that she had had her first baby called Lila. And she messaged me just before our meeting and said, oh, my babysitter just fell through, you know, sorry about the meeting, but I've got my baby with me. And she reminded me that I said, oh my gosh, bring your baby. I love babies. So Sarah and I then ended up working together for the next 12 years. She's edited a lot of my books. And so we've always stayed in touch. And in 2018, she said to me as a by the by, um, oh, if how's IVF going? And I was kind of early-ish in my journey then. Um, if you're ever interested, I'd love to be a surrogate. And then I said to my hubby, oh, my hubby to be, Steve, and I was like, so, you know, that Sarah girl who's my great friend and he was like, whoa, 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 not ready, whatever. Anyway, that's kind of how it started. And um, her husband, David, was on board. We said to Sarah, why would you want to do this? She said, when I'm 80 and in my rocking chair, I want to look back and go, I helped someone when I could. David was like, you know, she wants to do it great. I'm all in. Like, it's just the most extraordinary story. And so then we had to do three hours of counselling together. So it's actually a pretty simple process in Australia. It's altruistic, so you can't pay someone. Um, and then you just get a lawyer and you drop the contract. We pay for like everything for her, whatever we can pay for, we pay for. And she's just divine and she lives an hour away from me. We speak and text 
I don't know, 20 times every day. We see each other a couple of times a week. It is the most perfect and divine, and I've got shivers all over me, way to bring a child into the world. I can't even tell you. And if you asked me that through any iteration of the journey, I would have been, what? Not my own ex? What? Someone else carrying my baby? But now it is just like, the most exciting, beautiful, incredible thing ever. And I love her to pieces and I've got a, a, a baby carrier and a best friend out of it. So it's like. Oh, <laughs> this is the most wonderful ending to this story. <laughs> and I just love the synchronicities to it as well. So when is the due date? Um, so we're having a boy. <laughs> And he is due on the 2nd of August and we've had lots of scans together and lots of beautiful girly giggles and just fun, like it's just heaven. And so I think when you actually are vulnerable and open enough to share with other people, it is extraordinary how kind people can be. It just feels so easy and so meant to be. So it's like eight years of kind of hell and now like just, so much fun and just can't wipe the smile off my face every single day. Well, I'm smiling so <laughs> wide as well. I'm really thrilled for you. I know all our listeners will be as well. And thank you for being so open and vulnerable with that story because it is going to help and impact so many people. So Lisa, congratulations and thank you. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Katrina. And thanks for having me on to talk about it. <laughs> That was entrepreneur Lisa Messenger. Now let's go to Dr. Manuela Toledo, who's the medical director of Tassie IVF. Dr. Toledo, for any of our listeners who are considering IVF, what are the top three things you'd like them to know? The first thing I'd say is really look at your lifestyle. It is just so amazing when you see a couple that come in and they're both a little bit overweight and the woman's periods are a little bit irregular because she never exercises. They have a high junk food diet, lots of sugar intake, lots of soft drinks. They're both smoking. When you talk to them about that and, and they take it on board and they really do implement those changes and they send you an email three to six months later and say, hey, we're pregnant naturally and uh, don't take this the wrong way, but we're not going to come back and see you. So my number one tip out there is really look at what can you do before you come to see us? But my second thing would be there's nothing wrong with going and seeing a fertility specialist. Don't be scared that if you walk into a fertility clinic and you see a fertility specialist that the next thing you know you're going to be doing IVF. That's absolutely not the case. But if you see a fertility specialist, they may be able to do some baseline testing. We do a lot of genetic screening nowadays and really see you know, what's going on? Have you got unexplained infertility? Are you young enough to keep trying naturally a little bit longer? Is there anything serious going on where actually it's great that you came to see me because we can address this right now and it might not even be related to fertility itself? The third thing I would say is I know everyone's on social media. Everyone looks at social media. Be very, very careful what you're reading on social media. A lot of the social media posts come out of the US and they're just so irrelevant to what we do here in Australia. So we don't have a high twinning and triplet rate. We don't use high dosage IVF medications. We do get Medicare funding for IVF treatment here and more is not better. So a lot of the posts you'll see out of the US, they're, they're really um, 
compare egg numbers and uh, and sperm counts, and uh, there's a lot of pressure out there. But in IVF, sometimes less is more. Sometimes uh, we really look at getting good egg and sperm quality rather than getting huge amounts. So they're sort of my, my top three. And another question I often ask my patients is, how old was your mum when she had her babies? And it really makes us think about what a difference there is even in one generation. You know, our mums all had their babies in their 20s. Sometimes they were even teenagers when they started off. And, of course, when you have babies in your 20s, you get away with smoking or not having a great diet or not having your perfect conception Mm. weight. But when you're in your late 30s, early 40s, you just don't get away with those things anymore. So it's a really good way to kick off a conversation and, and um, you know, for our listeners out there, maybe go and ask your mum how old was she when she had her first baby, how old was she when she had her last baby. And there's no fault here, I'm not pointing the finger, but I'm saying it's just a fact that we live in, that our biology is still the same. We're still most fertile in our 20s and early 30s. But the social expectations and the environment we're working in is so much different now. So nowadays people often don't partner till their mid to late 30s and don't even start thinking about having a baby until their late 30s, early 40s. And that's just the environment that we're in. But that is why the fertility industry has become so incredibly busy. That was fertility specialist Dr Manuela Toledo from TAS IVF with some great advice and a huge congratulations to Lisa and her partner, as well as a big thank you from us, the Briefing family. We feel so honoured you've shared such a personal story and I'm sure it's going to help a whole lot of people. Listener.